Scared to Death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no home, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. What up, Dan? Hello, Lindsay. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Tired. Okay. Uh, well, well, I'm <laughs> but feeling, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I have extra energy, so I'll, ca- I'll carry for both of us. Okay. Yeah, I'm just stressed. It's fine. Uh, I have a special merch announcement today. Uh, you do? Uh-huh. Brand new matching crystal mom and crystal baby tees. Now available in the Bad Magic store. Yay! Happy Mother's Day. Awesome design featuring 25 precious, semi-precious gems. There's amethyst, citrine, green amber. There's some tanzanite. Uh, over 20 other stones. Some people see as magical. Other people see as, you know, nothing more than rocks. Little whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, they're pretty. And maybe they'll protect you from demons and spiders and stuff. Not maybe. Okay, for sure. Yeah. Uh, you can check it out at badmagicmerch.com. And what is the monthly Bad Magic charity? Oh, well, let me tell you, Dan. Right. Uh, this month, the charity, you guys have already heard us talk about it, but just again, the Halo Dental Network. Uh, the amount, of course, still to be determined as we record in advance. The Halo Dental Network was founded by Dr. Brady Smith, and it's a coalition of dental professionals who donate their services to the dental underserved. Uh, so people who are in need, who just can't afford it for a variety of reasons. Services include dental implants, veneers, fillings, and crowns. If you want to learn more, please visit halodentalnetwork.org. Not only can you donate to them, but you can also nominate somebody in need, which I think is maybe the coolest part about it. Yeah, it's awesome. Mm-hmm, so fun. And that's it for announcements. We sped through them. Woo! We heard your complaints and we're working on it. <laughs> so story time. Uh, how many stories do you have for us today? You have two, right? 200. 200 stories. That's a lot for today. Yeah. Buckle up, buddy. I hope you are ready. Okay. Now, I have two. Uh, my first story is a sweeter ghost story. Interesting. It has a tiny creepy element to it. A little whistling that's a little mm-hmm. bizarre. And then my second story that I don't think we've explored this at all, an archaeological dig. Oh, and, yeah. I love that setting for mm-hmm. a story. Yeah, like like a Tomb Raider. Yeah. But not. But it's just a... I could not think of... I think one of the stories was a curse, maybe an Egyptian curse that started off in an Egyptian curse and then it spread like the legend of one. Uh, I can't remember if that was a bonus episode, like for a Patreon one or a regular one, but I thought we covered early on some something around a Pharaoh's curse. It rings zero bells for okay. me. Although you said Pharaoh, so now I don't know. Yeah. I also am going to have um, in an upcoming episode a really, really creepy cellar story. Mm. And so I was like, oh, do I pair them together? Mm-hmm. So we were going underground, yeah. but I wanted to spread them out. But very cool, very cool story. I'm excited to share it with you in just a little bit. I uh, I like my stories as well. I have two, both set in the South. Sorry, I just imagine like, what if you said like, I, I hate my stories. I don't they're like so dumb. They're, they're, not, not they're not scary at all. They're a waste of time. Uh, no, uh, b- both of them feature some cool history first and then spooks. Uh, first, we're going to head back to one of America's favorite haunted places, Savannah, Georgia. Oh, yeah. We visited the haunted Hampton Lillibridge House and Marshall Houses back in episode 80. And today we visit the Old Harbor Inn, where a creepy, seemingly male ghost likes to crawl into bed with female guests. Ugh. 
very disturbing modern encounter uh, story to accompany some lore. Oh. Uh, then, we ha- then we head to one of America's oldest cities, St. Augustine, Florida, hmm. to share legends and encounters that accompany its supposedly haunted lighthouse. So I feel like we might have, uh, I feel like we might have been to St. Augustine before, but I, I just can't remember when, but it rings familiar. Hmm. Uh, plenty of time to settle in with some historical setup on my first story. As we, uh, as we head back, and don't fall out of your chair as we get ready to head back to Savannah. <laughs> that was the most Lulu thing. You guys have, does everybody know what a giant klutz I am outside of this little setting? These are my other furry boots. Uh, I do love a leopard print. <laughs> cute. Oh. Thank you. All right, here we go. Ready to head back to Savannah? Let's do it. Can I keep my feet up? You can keep up. Uh, the Old Harbor Inn is a haunted riverfront hotel in Savannah, Georgia, known for its genuine Southern hospitality and, of course, for its ghosts. Over two centuries, the property went from being a warehouse to a blue jeans factory to the headquarters of an oil company to the boutique hotel it is today. Uh, built around 1812, one of the oldest remaining properties in Savannah, uh, the city itself established in 1733. The Johnson and Jones families originally built the structure to be a cotton storage warehouse. The lot, in, the lot sits on Factors Walk near the famous River Street popular area of shops and historic markets, kind of touristy, along a cobblestone street on the banks of the Savannah River uh, since the early days of the city. Back in the early 19th century, that area, not so touristy, was uh, often a bad place to be, especially at night, full of thieves, violent drunks, other criminals. Back when the old Harbor Inn was built, Factors Walk was a uh, location of the Savannah slave market. Mm. Enslaved Africans newly arrived in America sometimes ended up being held before auctions in stone tunnels underground, Tunnels under Savannah that are reportedly there today still and haunted. Many of them forced to work in warehouses on Factors Walk and River Street, and some were forced to work in what is now the Old Harbor Inn. The conditions in these warehouses were, of course, terrible. Slaves, along with Irish and German immigrants, worked in harsh conditions. Accidents were common, due primarily to heavy cotton barrels falling on people and breaking bones, busting noses, even sometimes crushing and killing them. In 1888 and 1889, the original warehouses were removed and a new property was built on the lot. In December of uh, 1889, the Savannah Morning News and Evening Press reported that Dennis J. Murphy was creating a three-story building that would extend from River Street to Factors Walk. The Tidewater Oil Company immediately leased two floors. In March of 1890, the paper reported that Murphy finished the building, which became the local headquarters then for Tidewater. Things would not start off so smoothly for the company. Less than two years later, on January 2nd, 1892, a fire started at a wooden warehouse on the east end of Factors Walk. It quickly spread and destroyed various buildings on River Street, including Tidewater Oil's offices. The company now constructed a new building made from bricks after the fire. Rockefeller Standard Oil and Trust then assumed the company and operated, operated out of the building until 1907. The property then sat abandoned until 1930 when the Alexander Brothers Company purchased the building and turned it into a blue jeans and overalls factory staying in business for 50 years until 1980. Then in 1985, the property underwent a massive renovation to become what it is today, the Old Harbor Inn. And it quickly became one of the most popular boutique hotels in Savannah due to its opulence and ideal location. And it also, soon after numerous hotel guests, soon realized they weren't the only ones staying in its rooms, became a popular destination for ghost hunters to stay and explore and hope to encounter the paranormal. Hank is probably the most famous ghost of the numerous spirits alleged to haunt the Old Harbor Inn. Hank said to be the spirit of a man who died in the fire back in 1892, though there are no records that anyone named Hank did die in that fire. But to be fair, they didn't always take impeccable records back in 1892. According to Hank-related lore, 
Hank was the one who set the 1892 fire after getting into an argument with his boss. And Hank might still be upset over whatever they discussed. He's supposedly been haunting rooms 405 and 406 for decades now. He seems to prefer room 406. And strangely, also likes to make alarms go off at exactly 4.06 a.m. Also reported to make radios turn on and off by themselves, to steal things, make them reappear in other places. Hank apparently travels to the kitchen to steal food and turns ovens, microwaves, and toasters to ruin the chef's dinner plans. Or dinner plans. While the stealing food stuff might sound cute and maybe Hank might sound like a Casper-type ghost, he's not always friendly. Guests have been terrified to hear and witness Hank pounding on their doors, shaking and violently jerking on their doorknobs, and generally seeming to enjoy terrifying them as much as possible. And perhaps the most disturbing thing Hank has regularly done is to lay down next to guests while they sleep in bed. Guests have claimed to feel a human-sized presence push down on the mattress next to them, push up against their bodies, even feel cold breath against the back of their necks. The following is a story from a guest who wrote about having the misfortune of being assigned to room 406 during a bachelorette party in Savannah. Oh, boy. She was completely unaware of the legends, had no idea what she might expect. Time now for the tale of I Felt Him in My Bed. Cassie was having a great time in Savannah. Her close friend Allison was getting married to her high school sweetheart Ryan, and Cassie was truly happy for them both and honored when Allison asked to be a bridesmaid, or asked her. Since the wedding was in Savannah, Allison wanted to have her bachelorette party there as well. Cassie worked as a corporate attorney in San Francisco. She didn't get to go on vacations all that often, and when she did, she typically brought work with her. But for three days in Savannah, she decided to leave her laptop and work phone behind. It had been too long since she disconnected. She'd be across the country with no worries that she'd run into a coworker or a client, and she decided she deserved a true break. Her first night in Savannah was the most fun she'd had in a while. She went out to dinner with the entire bridal party, which included some of her closest friends and old friends she hadn't seen in almost two years. They went on a ghost tour, which was fun, but not as nearly as scary as she thought it would be. They ended the night by stopping at the bars on River Street, just a short walk from their hotel. And Cassie may have celebrated a bit too much. Between the drinks at dinner and the shots, her friends kept buying rounds up at the bar. She didn't quite get to the point of blacking out, but she was close. She couldn't stand up straight and had to lean on her roommate, Leah, for support when they got back to the hotel. The front steps seemed to sway and wobble as she made her way up on shaky legs. Everyone said goodnight, made their way to their respective rooms. She and Leah were in 406. Cassie was reminded when she walked the wrong way and Leah grabbed her arm, gently turning her in the right direction. Good thing the wedding isn't tomorrow. You're a hot mess. Leah laughed as she pulled Cassie into the room. Leah, the mother figure of the group, handed Cassie a makeup wipe and some water before she went to the bathroom to take a shower. Cassie haphazardly wiped at her face, drank half the bottle of water. Then she threw her heels into the corner, laid her head on the pillow, and quickly fell asleep. And then hours before she wanted to get up, she was woken by the beeping of an alarm. Cassie reached out her hand towards the nightstand, trying to find the alarm to end the noise she couldn't have hated hearing more in that moment. Her head pounded. She could barely open her eyes. It felt like even the glare of the alarm clock was too much. She was worried she'd be waking up to the worst hangover she'd ever had in her life. Cassie continued slapping at the nightstand, but couldn't stop the alarm clock. She figured Leah must have set it. Leah, she groaned. Why'd you set an alarm? The wedding isn't today. No response. Leah was sound asleep. Cassie rolled over onto her back, clapping her hands over her ears. She felt like her head might split in half. Ugh. She grabbed the pillow next to her and tossed it at Leah's bed, hoping that might wake her up and get her to turn off the alarm. But Leah didn't budge. Cassie finally sat up in bed and looked around in the darkness, afraid that turning on a lamp would only make her headache worse. 
She realized there was no alarm in her room doing the beeping. Her phone certainly wasn't going off and neither was Leah's. And the in-room alarm clock wasn't going off either. It wasn't even plugged in. She figured the noise was coming from the room next door. Maybe the walls were just so thin it sounded like it was in the room with her. She sighed as her head flopped back down onto her pillow. Who was waking up at 4.06 a.m. on Saturday morning? She resigned herself to suffer until the annoying neighbor woke up and turned off their alarm. Every beat made her wince. Leah somehow didn't wake up from all this noise, hadn't even moved. By 4.10, the beeping finally cut off. Cassie closed her eyes, turned over, trying to get some much-needed sleep. But then, tap, 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 tap. Cassie's eyes shot open. It sounded like someone was tapping on the outside of their window, their fourth floor window. Fear now paralyzed her. She was too scared to pull back the curtains and look, scenes from various horror movies flashing into her mind, warning her that this would be a very bad idea. She waited a minute. Thankfully, the tapping didn't continue. Maybe it was a bird that had flown against the window. Yeah, that's what it was, she assured herself. But then, someone's knocking at the door. Who was it? Four in the morning? Cassie looked to her left, and again, knock, knock, knock. Three more knocks sounded against the wooden door, as if whoever was outside was asking to enter. Cassie was afraid to get up. She had the distinct feeling that whoever was out there, it wasn't one of her friends. Leah, she whispered, reaching over to push against her mattress. Leah, someone's trying to get in. Again, Leah didn't budge. Cassie's eyes now widened in terror, pointing the flashlight on her phone towards the door. The room was now just lit up enough for her to watch as the doorknob first distinctly and slowly turned to the left, then to the right. Thankfully, Leah had remembered to lock the deadbolt. Cassie looked around her. She didn't see any sort of crude weapon she could use to defend herself. The best she could grab to use against an attacker attacker was a lamp or maybe a high-heeled shoe. She sat in bed, still too scared to do anything. She hoped that maybe this person would realize the door was locked and move on to another room. Maybe they were just drunk from the night before, stumbled up to the wrong room. But if that was true, why were they being so quiet and careful when they twisted the knob? She wanted to grab the hotel phone and call the front desk, but she was scared that if she talked too loudly, the person outside might hear and try and break the door down to get to her. She felt panicked. Minutes of this tension passed. Cassie kept shifting her eyes back and forth from the door to the clock. By 4.19 a.m., she hadn't heard any noise for six minutes. She let out a shaky breath, slowly reached over for the phone, winching when she pressed the first button and it made a loud beep. The door now flew open, the sound of the deadbolt busting the door, smacking into the wall, loud and jarring. Cassie screamed and dropped the phone. The shape of a man stood in the doorway. A tall, completely dark figure with fuzzy edges seemed to blur in and out. Even though she couldn't see his eyes, Cassie could tell he was staring at her. And this dark figure now took a step into her room. Cassie suddenly couldn't find her voice. Her throat felt tight, closed up. She wanted to scream again, but couldn't. She needed to call out to Leah to tell her to wake up, but couldn't speak. The figure took another step forward and another until he was standing right in front of her bed where he stopped and seemed to stare directly at Cassie. She was frozen in place, her hands gripping the blanket so tightly her arms shook and her muscles cramped. Her heart pounded in fear. She couldn't seem to do anything but sit and stare at the black figure before her. To her horror, the shadowy figure slowly stepped around to the other side of her bed, gently lifted the covers and sat down next to her. Oh my God. She whimpered in fear, all kinds of horrific scenarios running through her head about what might be about to happen to her. What did this thing want? How was it able to break in the door like it did? Why wasn't Leah waking up? Why hadn't other guests ran over to see what was going on in her room? The shadow now reached out and placed a cold hand on Cassie's head. She wanted to cringe away, but couldn't. It turned its head towards her. Cassie stared at a blank face, feeling invisible eyes locked onto her own. Shh. 
she heard it say, the hissing sound barely above a whisper. And then this thing climbed into bed next to her, pressing its cold body into hers. She wanted to scream as she felt breath against her face. The dark form pressed closer and closer, the shape of a human head moving within inches of her own, like a lover coming in for a kiss as his body wrapped around her own. No, she screamed inside her head. No, 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 no. And then Cassie lost consciousness. Hours later, a splash of cold water in her face jolted her awake. She opened her eyes to see Leah kneeling in front of her, a terrified look on her face, tears streaming down her cheeks. Oh my God, Cassie, I was about to call 911. Leah cried, wrapping her arms around her. What? Cassie croaked out, her head throbbed, her throat was parched. She felt nauseous. The events of the night before suddenly came back to her. The alarm, the tapping, the knocking, the strange shadowy man who broke into her room. And then, had he gotten into bed with her? What had happened after that? She couldn't remember. Was it real? Or was it all just a strange dream she'd had in her drunken state? I thought you were dying, Leah said with a shaky voice. I I tried to wake you up and and you wouldn't move. I I didn't think you had that much to drink last night. I I thought you had alcohol poisoning or something. I didn't notice. You scared the shit out of me. I'm sorry. I I guess I was just in a a really deep sleep. After assuring Leah that she was fine, just extremely hungover, she asked, Did something happen last night? Leah gave her a look. What do you mean? Did you get so drunk you can't remember anything? No, No, I remember most everything. I... I woke up. I, I thought there was someone trying to get in our room. Leah looked confused. I heard knocking on the door. Now Leah looked at her like she was crazy. Never mind. Probably just some kids playing a prank or something. I was, I was dreaming. She didn't believe that for a second, but she said it with enough confidence to get Leah to believe it. Let's just go grab some breakfast. Cassie didn't sleep well at all the next two evenings of the trip. She had that same nightmare, both additional nights. A phantom alarm going off at 4.06 a.m., only waking her, not Leah. Someone impossibly tapping against the outside fourth floor window. Knocks on the door. Barging through the door. A shadowy figure coming to her bed. The man gets into bed with her, leans towards her. She feels the weight of his body press into her own, and then blacks out, waking normally hours later. It was horrific. She told herself it was all just a bad, recurring dream, some kind of night terror. She almost convinced herself to believe that, but deep down when she left Savannah, she had the distinct feeling that whatever had happened was somehow real. After leaving Savannah, Cassie went back to her normal, busy life in San Francisco and thankfully never had the dream again. But she couldn't stop wondering, why did she have that same exact, strange, vivid, terrifying dream three nights in a row, every night she was in Savannah, but never since? She did a little digging, and she learned about the legend of Hank. And when she did, she was overcome with full-body chills. It was no dream. Now, most days, she doesn't even think about what happened in Savannah. But on certain nights, just before she falls asleep, she, she sees Hank's shadow coming for her in her mind's eye. She wonders what happened after he crawled into bed with her, and then she blacked out. Did she actually black out? Or is her mind just protecting her from the horror that followed? Those nights are always nearly sleepless ones. Are there stories of Hank, uh, like, assaulting? I mean, I don't even know if... I mean, this one, but, uh... Well, maybe, I mean, this one, as far... Yeah, I don't know, like, I see what you're saying. Like, where they they do remember stuff like that? Not that I can find, no. Maybe it's... I mean... Hmm. Maybe he has some weird power to just over... Overcome you, but not assault you. Or maybe, like, he can, like, enter your dream somehow, and I don't know, almost like a... Or maybe it's just... Freddy Krueger. You know fight or flight, faint or fawn. Like maybe you really do just pass out out of complete and utter fear. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Because that would be terrifying. Mm-hmm. 
Why yeah. didn't she just get into bed with Leah? I would have just been, I would have told Leah what happened. I don't, <laughs> oh, think, yeah. I don't care if Leah thinks I'm crazy. And then I would be in a, I would sleep with Leah in bed. Mm. Because mm. I wonder if you're sharing a bed with someone, if Hank still shows up. Did uh, you become a threesome? I don't know. And I don't even mean that to be funny. I just yeah. mean like that was the very first note that I wrote down where I immediately thought, okay, she's going to be in a hotel room alone. I did not think that she was going to be bunking with Leah. Oh, yeah. So I thought like, okay, so Hank probably only shows up when you are a single person in a room. But if there's two people, probably mm. not. But I wasn't thinking about two people, two beds. I was thinking mm -hmm. about a couple. So yeah. I wonder if they become a thruple. <laughs> I don't know. Weird stuff. Weird. Creepy. So uncomfortable. That would be so, so uncomfortable. So creepy. Oh, Dream I, or not, you know, whatever, just to feel like, yeah, that that whole sequence of events. Mm -hmm. I know. Immediately I thought, thank God I'm not going to be sleeping alone away from you for several weeks. Oh, yeah. Because mm -hmm. that that is a very, very specific nightmare. Uh, first photo, recent photo of the old Harbor Inn from the outside. Beautiful. Very, mm -hmm, beautiful building. Mm -hmm. um, I love the South so much. Mm -hmm. I know it has such a ugly cloud of history over it, but it is such a, a beautiful place. Yeah, 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 but it, it is. Yep, it is a beautiful place. I uh, couldn't find any pics of uh, room 406, but um, here's one of the recently renovated rooms. I mean, it looks super nice. Cute. And Savannah is a gorgeous town. Oh, does it? it that's like a little like loft room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it has a loft. Yeah, there's more pictures. I mean, they were just like, more like real estate kind of, you know, photos. But yeah, there's um, a cool little loft up above. I mean, those hardwood floors mm -hmm. that uh, a lot of places down in the South, I was just, when I was in North Carolina, we were talking about that with somebody. They have these, you know, old buildings, and I, I'm terrible with architectural terms, but they're like, a, it's like a style of building where I see it in the South, like a classical style. I'm like, oh yeah. Like, um, Tell me like what it looks like. Uh, a lot of white, uh -huh. like um, pillars in the front, mm -hmm. kind of like a big rectangle, shutters outside the windows, mm -hmm. you know, um, I can't think of what's on the roof. I think shingles. Probably. Yeah, shingles, but but I'm not sure, but um. No, like, bay windows or anything. It's, like, flat, but mm -hmm. it's, like, it's very, like, uh... Colonial? Maybe colonial. Maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's colonial. But then what they'll do is they'll mix it in an inside. They'll keep, like, the hardwood floors. They'll mm -hmm. keep certain, like, the, the the bones, the skeleton. But then they'll make the rest very slick and modern. Mm -hmm. And it's, I love that mashup. Yeah, like a nice juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I gotta get better about my architectural terms. But, well, uh, there's a lot. And then, and then, uh, this, this last one, I mean, it's just, uh, made me think of that. Yeah, that would be terrifying. Oh my god! Like you're, you're. Uh, what is that from? Uh, I don't. Uh, just some random website. Oh, I yeah. thought it was from a movie. It might be might, might be from that, but just like, can you imagine? Just like in yeah, in bed, and a shadowy figure just gets and lays down with you. Yeah. And the shh, I, that might have been the worst part for me. Ugh. And I, I would love to think that I would be able to like get up, run away, scream, but you truly don't know until you are in. A situation of pure, mm -hmm. complete terror. Well, you have no idea how you're going to respond. And that can be some sleep paralysis on top of it, you know. And, and there's people who, obviously, in the paranormal uh, realm, who are like, "Yep, there is science behind sleep paralysis." But what if it's sure. both? What right, if it, what right. if there is some entity that can like simulate that and, and basically paralyze you? And then like you are paralyzed because of you know cognitive processes, but also there's something there that's real, which mm -hmm. is the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you have a bachelor party at your first marriage? Yes. Where'd you go? What'd you do? Oh, it was it was so it was just um, you know, young. It was just like basically like I was only a couple years out of college. So it was just oh, it was yeah. just my friends from college. And um <laughs> we just went to some karaoke bar in Spokane, Washington, and just like like cheap bar, you know, like yeah. everybody just bought me shot after shot after Ugh. shot. 
I had some t-shirt. I had little devil horns on. They uh-huh. thought it was funny mm-hmm. uh, to have me in a little devil outfit. And and then I was a terror, I guess, at the karaoke bar. And then sounds right. And then on the way back uh, home, my dad drove me home. He was there actually. Bless. And he said at one point he had to grab my shirt, like with his hand. I was trying to climb out of the car as we were driving <laughs> down the road. I was that. I was just out of my mind. Oh boy. Yep. I just suddenly decided I was going to cr- cl- climb out of the car. Okay. Okay. Mm, so that was it. I hate bachelor and bachelorette parties. Do you know that? Yeah, we have talked about that. And yeah, after I doing... specifically did not have a bachelor party because oh. I'm like. I just, mm-hmm. th- this is no, this is, I'm not throwing shade. You do what is best yeah, for do you. It. You but do like, you. To me, I'm like, why do I need to fucking celebrate my last night of freedom? What is that? Yeah. What the fuck is that? I know. It is a weird it, thing. It's like you shouldn't, if you really are like so upset that you're not going to have that freedom, don't get married. Uh, correct. Or you're marrying the wrong person. <laughs> right, because right. it's like, it's marriage is not. A it's not, it's not, fucking prison. Yeah, you're not going to fucking prison. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I've never understood that. And it's like, oh, we're going Some to Vegas. And like, yeah. oh, she's never going to know. It's like, A, we're not fucking stupid. And B, <laughs> like, so you want to, what, go sleep with other women before you get married? Or like. Then have oh, a polyamorous relationship or something. Or figure out. Yeah, but just, yeah, it's it's weird. It's a weird tradition. Yeah, it is. a, And I actually don't know the history behind it. No, I don't know. Either. I like it in like uh it's like London. It's like what do they call it? Like Hen's Night. Yeah, that feels more fun. Yeah, it, for the the portrayal of what I have seen is that seems more like a celebration and a good time and like you know yeah. silliness. But the American version of it, I'm like I no thanks. I don't like it. I'm and I don't. Sorry, I also yeah. don't like that many women. I don't need to hang out <laughs> with like. 10 women getting drunk. I'm like, that sounds like a fucking nightmare oven in itself. Yeah. Women are catty. Women are generally Jesus. not that fun. Like <laughs> when they drink, this is my experience. Okay. Yeah. Your experience. Yeah. Right. It's like, I, I have a couple close girlfriends Okay. and I'm good with like four of them. That's all I need. Like okay. Just this little. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like it. Uh, bachelor parties in the comedy club setting. Cause I've just from doing standup oh, for so yeah. many years when you see like them in the audience, it's never a feeling of like, yay. It's always a feeling of like, am I going to have to have them thrown out of the show? Oh my God. I would, Like just stay, stay calm, stay calm. Don't, because what will happen, what annoys me, and again, not always. This is not there, a yeah, blanket statement. No, not, not blanket statements, but a decent percentage, uh, in my experience, of these bachelor parties that come to the comedy club and it's all about them. And, and, and they just get this weird thing. It's like, yeah, but it's my friend's big night. And it's like, that, and I've had to tell people from stage, I'm like, no one gives a shit about you guys other than your little party. All these other well, people here, Hate your guts. Well, it's just a weird. They just choice. want you to shut up. If you want the night to be about you, then yeah. go to a bar, rent out an area of the bar. Right. Do do that. But yeah. a comedy show is mm-hmm. so uber specific yeah. because you are going to listen to one person talk. Right. So it cannot be about you. It, that is yeah. inherently not yeah. possible. Like you wouldn't go to a concert and be like, "Sing my favorite songs" by some other band. Right. Like, yeah. Wait, it's not. Yep. About you, comedy has a weird dynamic. I know. Go to the right kind of bar for yeah. that stuff. But otherwise, it's just a, it's just a weird entitlement thing where it's like, yeah, it's our night. And and I, you know what's go even, have it. Be you know my guest. Even, you know what's even worse than that? When grown up people and the older it gets, the sadder it gets. Uh-huh. When are having a birthday party out in public and they dress up for it and they become obnoxious and think they should get a free pass for being obnoxious. But it's my friend's birthday. Okay, you know what that makes I, me I've think? kicked people out of comedy clubs. I've had a group of people, usually women, crying as they leave because, <laughs> yeah, but it's their birthday. Okay. You're 46, lady. Grow up. You're not a Chuck E. Cheese. When we, when we were flying to sp- on spring break, we were going to Kauai. Yeah. We were on our flight from uh, SeaTac to Lihui, mm-hmm. and we're, we're leaving the gate. 
And then the plane stops, and now we are going in reverse back to <laughs> yeah. the gate. And of course, we're like, okay, this is going to be a mask-related issue, yeah. which inherently pisses me off. I don't care what you think about masks. You knew what you had to do to get on that plane, right? Yeah. This is not about whether or not masks and are the right or wrong now thing. now you're ruining our departure time. Yep. Everybody else in the plane Everyone's is being delayed mad. because you didn't want to play by the rules that you knew were the rules going in. And that guy was drunk. And what did he say? But it's my birthday. Right. It's like, I don't give a flying F because we yeah. all paid a lot of money to be but on this. It's so expensive to get to Hawaii. It's so expensive. So for you to like ruin it. And then I remember he somebody's, marched. Somebody's parents didn't yell at him enough growing oh, up man. when you have that attitude as an adult. But it's my birthday. He what marched, are you, seven? He marched off that plane. Yeah. I'm sure he's on a no-fly list now. Yeah. Followed by, remember, his girlfriend yep. or like a female mm -hmm. and another guy. And it was mm -hmm. like, oh, if you, if I'm, we are not yeah. friends anymore. If he would have waited three more weeks. Then it was all lifted. Now, 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 Well, not even that. It's just like, if you weren't so entitled that it's your birthday. I know. It's just like, stupid. my God. Anyways. Anyways. Oh, people. And no shots. I just needed to say, I wrote that in all caps. No shots. I do no. not do shots. You see us at, you see me at the club with Dan. Sometimes I sit in a back corner and hide while he's no, doing his show. No shots. Don't send me a shot. I will not do it. <laughs> uh, you ready to take a three hour drive down the Atlantic coast for the next haunted place? I would love to go on a three hour tour. We explore the ghost of the St. Augustine Lighthouse right after a short mid-show sponsor break. Thanks for listening, Creeps and Peepers. Go get those deals and save some money. Have you ever been to St. Augustine? I have not. Florida is my least favorite state to visit. Oh, oh boy. Well, you know, that, like it's just not... Yeah. I have not had great experiences in Florida. Yeah, I love Florida. Uh, I've been there many times, but I've not been to St. Augustine. Yeah, I guess uh, I've really only been to Orlando. Yeah, I've been all over the all over Florida. Uh, it's fun. Um, so much history uh, on the coast of Florida, where the tele oh boy, these words I practiced them. Telemato, 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 and Matanzas rivers spill out into oh. the unforgiving waters of the Atlantic. <laughs> Stands one of America's oldest structures, the St. Augustine Lighthouse. I literally thought you were trying to say some kind of tomato. Oh my god, T trying to pronounce tomato. <laughs> like where the uh, tomato? Um, no, the <laughs> tele. Tolomato, Tolomato and Menanzas. Uh, nest on the northern edge of Anastasia Island, the original wooden lighthouse was built sometime before 1589. Unlike the traditional idea, we have a lighthouse, red and white, taken care of by a man in a yellow fisherman's jacket. This lighthouse was built solely to keep watch for enemy ships. The watchtower stood until 1737, when the original structure was torn down and a new sturdier tower was built out of uh, Kakina, a mixture of limestone and broken shells. Then during the Seven Years' War from 1756 to 1763, the British defeated the Spanish, took control of the island and the lighthouse. Under the British, the lighthouse was reconstructed once again to include 30 new feet of structure as well as a signal fire. The British hoped it would help curb the number of shipwrecks that occurred around the island but continued to be a problem. Stormy nights and low visibility, uh, but they continued to be a problem. Stormy nights and low visibility meant ships steered off course only to crash dramatically against a hidden sandbar or a nest of jagged rocks. In 1783, the Spanish retook control of St. Augustine, uh, again controlling the lighthouse. In 1824, the land officially became the property of the U.S., and during the American Civil War, Confederate sympathizers sabotaged the lighthouse in order to stop the Union from shipping supplies to its troops. It would remain non-functioning all the way until 1867. A few years later, rising sea levels meant that another new lighthouse had to be built. The U.S. Lighthouse Service began construction on a new 165-foot tower, complete with 219 steps in 1871, finishing in 1874. The original structure crashed into the sea, and its ruins are now an archaeological site. The new lighthouse continued to be maintained and upgraded with new technology all the way until 1980, 
when a suspicious fire destroyed the lighthouse keeper's home and the grounds were declared as excess by the U.S. government. St. John's County, where it's located, considered purchasing the property, building condominiums on the land, but were stopped when the Junior Service League stepped in with a plan to restore the property and open a maritime museum. And thanks to their efforts, the old thought-to-be-haunted lighthouse still stands today. You might not think it's haunted at first glance. Looking up at the tower with its twisted black and white striped base and its glowing top capped with a blood-red crown, you might be able to tell yourself that this structure has been built and rebuilt so many times that it couldn't possibly hold memories of centuries of bloodshed, violence, and isolation. But then, when you run your fingers along the coquina walls, you might feel it. The thrum of something present, of something that remembers. You could tell yourself that it's just a feeling of understanding the place's history, but according to people who have visited, it may be much more than that. Much more physical uh, than physical, much more real. Time now for the tale of the man and the other ghosts of the St. Augustine Lighthouse. On the ground floor, where the lighthouse keepers lived over the years, you might smell the sudden whiff of cigar smoke, even though no one has lived or smoked a cigar in the building now for years. You might think you're just smelling something from outside, a scent carried on the wind. You might even be able to ignore the fear in the pit of your stomach or the sudden weight you feel pressing on your limbs. Until you see him. The man. Often dressed in a blue jacket and a mariner's cap, the entity known as the man always walks the same route, up and down the spiral staircase, or looks down the catwalk from above. The man is believed by various locals and lighthouse employees to be the ghost of William Russell, a keeper from the 1950s. The man is never heard speaking. He just seen shaking his head grimly as though he's seen too much. Or some say, as though he knows that his watch over the place will be endless, that he's trapped there for eternity. Glimpsing his shadowy form on the ground floor or ducking just around a pile of crates, you may get the feeling that the ghost of William Russell is warning you not to go upstairs, that you might not like what you'll find there. Do you go up anyway? If you do, you must climb the tall, spiraling staircase where the sound of crashing waves and screeching gulls suddenly vanishes, dampened by the thick walls. You might feel like the sudden quiet is welcome, a break from constantly feeling the magnitude of nature's destruction. Maybe a break from thinking about how many ancient waves brought ships to their destruction, their crews not dying far from where you stand. But then the silence surrounding you is broken by laughter. The ringing laughter of children starts at the top of the stairs, high above your head, and works its way down, echoing until it stops abruptly, like it's almost collided with you. You might wonder if you misheard, if it's a tourist above you, and then you might remember that you're alone or go upstairs to find the top floor empty and silent. So where did the laughter come from? History may provide some answers. In 1872, while the lighthouse was undergoing construction, the lead architect was a man named Hezekiah Pitty, who stayed on the island with his wife and three daughters. He would soon wish he hadn't made the choice to stay or that he had at least left his family back home. One afternoon, Pitty's three daughters and a friend were playing near the lighthouse when a terrible tragedy struck. A rail cart that the construction workers used had become a part of the girls' favorite game, pretending they were pirates moving their prized treasure to a secret location. But that afternoon, when rolling near the cliff's edge, the rail cart came off its tracks and plunged the four girls into the water below. The rail cart also flipped over and pinned the girls underneath it, oh. and they weren't strong enough to get out from under it. By the time Mr. Pity was able to lift it off the girls, only one of his daughters was still alive. The other three had all drowned, and now their spirits may be doomed to play near the lighthouse for eternity. Uh, the three girls, there was uh, two daughters and then their friend. 
St. Augustine Lighthouse employees still hear giggles ringing out, mostly but not always at night. In some mornings, they've been said to find muddy, child-sized footprints on the lighthouse floors. Other guests at the lighthouse have had paranormal experiences more intense than seeing footprints or hearing giggles. One evening, a female guest on a ghost tour was standing on the first step of the metal lighthouse staircase. When she then went to take her next step to climb the tower, she found her shoelace tied to the stair. The girls playing a game with her, perhaps? On another tour, a guide found a group of young women in the basement of the old lighthouse keeper's home. One of the young women had rented an EMF meter to measure the electrical activity caused by spirits, and the young woman holding the meter asked the girls if they wanted to play hide-and-seek. The meter immediately spiked. The woman with the meter then wandered the basement, searching for their hiding, the hiding spirits, finding additional meter activity under the spiral staircase leading to the main floor. Excitedly, she told them she'd found them again, asked them if they wanted to keep playing. Just like before, the meter spiked. Once again, the young woman searched the basement for the girls, after several minutes found more electrical energy near an old play table. About that time, another set of guests came into the basement, and reportedly, the energy immediately dissipated. I guess the game was over. Occasionally, the girls have appeared to people as fully formed apparitions. Several years ago, during the day, a guest was exploring the maritime hammock trails, came upon a young girl in a Victorian outfit, sitting on a bench reading a book. As she began to ask the girl a question, another group came up from the opposite direction. Distracted momentarily by the group, the woman looked away for just a moment, turned back to find the little girl on the bench completely gone. In a similar instance, a woman on a ghost tour approached another woman to compliment her daughter's behavior on the tour. Confused, the woman said she had no daughter. The other woman then told her that a little girl had been standing right beside her for most of the evening. The two women wondered for a moment if maybe someone else's daughter had been standing by her, but then they discovered there were no children on the tour that night. Maybe that doesn't really scare you. You decide that little girls can't hurt you. That even the chance of seeing a tiny, soaking, unmoving, wet bundle of clothes and corpse heaped to the top of the stairs as some have claimed to witness or feeling water dripping down your neck and arms doesn't bother you. Maybe you continue on exploring. In the red room at the very top of the tower, the beacon sits. Out of use, but intimidating in how large it is. Maybe now you're so busy focused on the giant light, you don't see her in the corner of your peripheral vision. Not the girl, another entity. The woman on the catwalk. She's leaning just like you over the railing, leaning further and further until suddenly she vanishes. Who is she? In 1860, Maria Mestre de los Deleros became not only the first woman to serve in the U.S. Coast Guard, but she also became the first Hispanic American woman to command a federal shore installation, the St. Augustine Lighthouse. But this prestigious position came directly from tragedy and heartbreak. Her husband, Joseph Andrew, had been the previous lighthouse keeper and he'd fallen off the catwalk during a storm, leaving her to raise their eight children alone. Maria was heartbroken. She and her children spent the next year at the lighthouse. How many times, you might wonder, did she stand on the edge of the catwalk where you may have just seen her ghost, looking down to see where her husband's body had slammed into the ground below, imagining the last few seconds of his life, his dying thoughts before flesh collided with stone? We don't know how Maria died. That has been lost to history. But some speculate she repeated her husband's tragedy, leaving her children and dooming herself to be trapped in the lighthouse forever. Standing up on the catwalk, maybe you gripped the railing as well, looking out, wondering what would happen if you also stepped off. Is Maria trying to trick you into following her husband's footsteps, into following what might have been her footsteps? Would you simply stop living if you fell, or would you become another one of the ghosts of the St. Augustine Lighthouse, damned to keep eternal watch as the waves beat against the cliffs below? No, thanks. It sounds like a particularly awful way to die. I mean, I guess it would be quick. You'd have a few moments of panic, Maybe. but that would be painless. 
terrifying but painless. And then as you fall, oh. but then when you hit, I mean, I would have, I would think in all likelihood at that distance, it would be over almost basically like immediately. Death upon impact. Yep. I was thinking about that hike we took, just you and I in Kauai, and there were various little kind of uh, like what's the word that I want? Where you would like stand at the edge of the cliff and like overlook, and then you'd be like rock outcroppings oh, yeah. uh-huh, down below. Uh-huh. And every time, like I would get anywhere near the edge, my knees would get like a little shaky. Yeah, I'd get a little like uncomfortable. I take a step back because the thought of falling over, Ugh. I was like, oh God, you are about to be shark meat. Yeah. That spot would be terrifying where, yeah, where I know what you're talking about, where I thought about that too, where the waves are beaten against the side so hard and, and it's really jagged. The rocks are yeah, sharp yeah. and there's, and there was no place to kind of like crawl up mm-hmm. where that would be a slow, terrifying death. If, if you're just kind of like, you know, these waves are hitting you and then you get water all over you and also get scratched up. Oh yeah. You're so mangled. And you're man- Yep. And, and then you just kind of get a, you know, your grip for a second and then Dun boom, it. the next one hits you. You're worried about, oh my God, terrifying. And when, terrifying. We, were, when we were on that hike, you told me a terrifying story about sneaker waves. Is that what they were called? Mm-hmm. I had never, ever, ever heard of that. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know that that happens in Hawaii outside of like the rare in history, like a tsunami. Sure. Um, uh, but like, yeah, sneaker waves, I, I, the one I've story I know is like on the Oregon coast, sadly, uh, a person I knew, uh, her and her son were there like a family get together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was, you know, years ago. And he was not... The water was cold. No one was in the water. He was just walking along the water's edge. Mm-hmm. And a big wave came out of nowhere. Yeah, what they, what they would call a sneaker wave or at least one term for it. And just like knocked him down and also uh, ripped out, backed out to sea, pulled him out into the water. Right. And then somebody else from the this little get-together, it was like a family get-together, jumped in the water and swam after him. And the riptide pulled them both out to sea and in front of everybody – you know, they, they drowned. The, the water right, was you cold. Said it, you said it kept pulling them out further. Yep, further and further, and further. And the water was very cold. So it was like, you hypothermia. know, hypothermia sets in. They go into the Man. water and that's it. Yeah. Uh, so sad. So sad. And, uh, you know, people say, oh, like drowning is so peaceful. Uh, not when it happens like that. No. No way. Man, that's a memory you'd never get rid of. Well, I would, I hardly will go in the ocean as it is now from the one time. Like I was a total ocean baby like growing mm-hmm. up we would take these really cheap family vacations where we could drive somewhere uh on the east coast and and swim and swim and swim and i loved it i like you could not get me out of the water mm-hmm. and then as a young adult living in la i'd gone on a bike ride with my girlfriends along the coast and we're like oh yeah like, like, let's just pop out here and i got sucked under just a few times uh. and i not even like far out but i just i could not get my bearings that's enough i don't want to go in the ocean past my waist <laughs> yeah. it's so scary water is so powerful Mm-hmm. Uh, a few pictures. This first is a uh, pic of the St. Augustine Lighthouse. And then, yeah. So it's like really pretty. It's so cute. It's mm-hmm. like a little, it looks like a little baby lighthouse. Yeah. Pe- popping over the trees there. And then this next one is a pic of the lighthouse with some of the ocean in the background just to get a little b- more perspective on it. Okay. Sense yep. of scale. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so pretty. And then this next one is the spiral staircase inside the lighthouse. Cool. That's really cool. It did make me wonder, it's so many stairs, like how many times the lighthouse keepers, if they were up in the top and had to go to the bathroom, were just like, I'm just peeing off the side. Uh, probably all the time? Probably all the time. Because that would oh. be such a pain to walk all the way down those stairs, all the way back up those stairs. Oh my God. Yeah. And uh, they, for women, they didn't have shiwis yet. So I don't uh, know what they did. They just leaned their butt over or something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> three, this last, this last picture is the three pity girls oh. shortly before the accident. That's so sad. 
Yeah, only the center one, Carrie, survived. Um, I mean, honestly, if I'm Carrie, I wish I just died with them because the Survivor's Guild and then like your parents just sole focus on you, but then also mourning the loss of your sister. Oh, what a mess. Yeah, so sad. So sad. That's the only other time I've ever heard of someone named Hezekiah outside of your cousin's kid. Oh, yeah. It's a uh, biblical name. Well, that I know. Just interesting. Have you ever been in a lighthouse? Uh, No, actually, I've not. I've never been in a lighthouse. Have you ever like uh, been, you know, like at the base of one, like very close to one? Because they're huge. I don't think I have actually. Mm. No. no I, I've seen them in areas. I mean, I know I have. Like been in an area where I'm like, oh, check out that lighthouse over there. Right, right. But I've never gone up near one. Nope. No, I don't, yeah. I don't really know how close I've ever been to one. When I was a kid, my mom's boss had a house in Nantucket. So we would drive there yeah. and take the ferry over. This is our like practically free family vacations. And there are a lot of lighthouses yeah. there. And so, I mean, but same, like I, I've never been, I don't think inside of one. If, if I did, it was so long ago that I was a young kid that I don't recall it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm laughing. I, um, when I was a little kid, I heard that stupid limerick about Nantucket. And it's every single time I hear that word, I feel like for the rest of my life, I'm just going to. Oh, complete- how does it go? Oh, it's, it's, uh. It's terrible. It's just, uh, I once met a man from Nantucket, yeah. had a dick so long he could suck it. It's all, that's the only oh, part I remember. Oh, I, yeah. I never and, heard that. But so, but anytime someone says just that name. Nantucket? It, it, it does that whole little rhyme in my head. I don't think I ever heard that. It might have been, like been, been, been Andrew Dice Clay. I don't know. It was like, but it was, but I, I don't think so. I think it was actually older. I think it was like, an, it's just an old, stupid, and it has a second part. I know, that's not say, the whole thing. I thought there was a something like, there. there was a man from Nantucket. Not that. <laughs> something else. Like, I swear. Uh, I don't know. Okay. It's, it's been referenced on The Simpsons and everything, too. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, and then, yeah. I need to take you to Nantucket. It's so pretty. It's oh, yeah. so pretty. Like, yeah. Love to go a, to see it. I was like, one of the... I want to find that guy. <laughs> oh, I'm just curious. Just like do like a side by side comparison. Oh no! I mean, if he if he's able to, I mean, he's he's got me beat by a long way. Yeah, uh, but I I just you know just uh, I don't know shake his hand be like yeah, I don't know good for, good you. for you. That's uh, but also well done. not not good for you. Also creepy because no one wants that. No girl he is. wants it. Well, if he's having a great time by himself, he doesn't need anybody else. That's not how it works. <laughs> he just he's he's happy to be alone. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe his fetish is himself. Oh okay. Yeah, I don't know. All right. Now, I gave you two squishies today because I realize we have like brother. Oh, nice. Look, look at mm-hmm. they're like they're not twins; they're brothers. Yeah, they're like eyebrows. Little dragly guys. Yep, not twins but sisters. Yeah, they're cute. Why is the one guy yellow? Why was why do you say not twins but sisters? Is that from uh, a movie? No, that's what we say about eyebrows. Like oh. uh, eyebrows shouldn't be twins, but they're sisters. They should look similar, but not identical or perfectly symmetrical. Oh, interesting! You, never? I've never heard that. Huh, okay. It must be a girl thing. Like when we're like, you know, working on our eyebrows. Because okay. you cannot make them both exactly the same. Virtually oh. impossible. Huh. It's just like how, fa- you know when you meet somebody whose face is like too symmetrical and it kind of freaks you out? I think that about some models. Like, uh, like um, they're almost like too good looking. Well, it, Where they look fake. Right, exactly. It's like you're not, you're a robot. Right, like your eyes, like, because your eyes should be just like a tiny bit off or like a slightly like, one's a little bit higher, one's a little bit lower, one's a little mm-hmm. bit bigger. But it's so minute that you don't focus on it, you don't really see it. Mm-hmm. But if it's someone's face is perfectly symmetrical, you're kind of like, that is uncomfortable. Yeah, so don't be too handsome or too, too beautiful people. Yeah, uh-huh. Take it down a notch. Knock it off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so are we ready for my part of the show? <laughs> yes. 
It's always my show. Okay. Okay. Just kidding. Uh, okay. So I have like this like sweet little heartwarming, I thought, uh, ghost story. Mm-hmm. We've kind of explored this before of like, you know, not all ghosts have to be bad. It doesn't yeah. always have to be scary. Right? Right. And so I was thinking about like, okay, let's see. If When I die or if I die, I mean, I might be immortal. We don't know uh, yeah, yet. Yeah, I hope so. You do? Yeah, sure. Are you also going to be immortal? Um, yeah, that'd be fun. Okay, cool. I'm going to be a robot. I've already, I've talked about that That's many true. times. I don't want to be a robot. I'm going to be, I'm going to be a Westworld robot. And, oh, yeah. um. When's that show coming back? I don't know. Maybe never. Is it over? No, it's not over. Okay. Um, okay. But you, you die. Yeah. And you're a ghost. And then I was like, okay. So then like, are you a good ghost? Are you a bad ghost? Like, or how are, and then. Within that, like, how are you going to announce yourself? So I was thinking about this. I had a very long thought. Like, okay, I would definitely be a good ghost. I I don't want to haunt anybody and scare them Mm because that doesn't make me feel good. Mm -hmm. But then how would I let them know I'm there? Like, would I move stuff? Would you be, you know, sometimes people are like, I could smell it. I, you know, the the temperature in the room changed. And I think I'm going to go with, I'm going to come back and I'm going to be a nice ghost. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to let people, let people know I'm there by my smell. Because everyone always tells me that I smell good. like a, you do smell good. There's a specific body oil that I use. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that's how I'm going to announce myself. Okay. And then I thought you would probably not be so kind. I'll pinch people's nipples. <laughs> that's how they know I'm there. That, that's the one thing I'll do is pinch people's nipples. <laughs> and I'll be like really good at it. Where it's like, I won't even touch any other part of your body. <laughs> like just the nipple. Just the, like. <laughs> just the tip. Just the tip of the nipple. Just a little, like a, like a one, like a. One squeeze, pinch, and then let go. So you're like, ah, whoa. And then you're just kind of startled. And then maybe a little bit later, you're like trying to convince yourself that didn't happen. Like that was just a weird, maybe a nerve or something sensation. Okay. And then and then sometimes, okay, I, I get to do one move and make one noise. And then I go, pew. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be my ghost move. Pew. So, so I take it that I, I assumed that you were going to say that you were going to be a naughty ghost. You were going to do scary hauntings. Huh? And I don't know what I thought your move would be. Probably, I thought your move would probably be to like knock things over, like be destructive. Mm. Wow, I was way off. I don't know. I don't even know you anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this uh, this this household had a a ghost, and she liked to announce herself with whistling, which I think is particularly creepy. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Well, whistling depends on the whistle. Depends on the kind of whistle. Okay. Because if it was like a happy. Like some like like upbeat thing. I'm like, okay, that's not too scary. I still don't but like it, it. But if it was just, oh yeah. Okay, stop. Like slower ones, yeah. First of all, it hurts my ears. Second of all, I can't whistle. So it, can you please stop? It seriously hurts oh, my ear. I, I was, that was like happy when I did. <laughs> I know, but it, the oh, my in ears, okay. it's like I don't know the pitch. It really hurts. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so uncomfortable. Uh, I I just think if I'm home alone uh-huh. and I just hear whistling, happy or not, I don't like it. All right. But you're into it. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Noted. Well, happy. Happy. I mean, uh, that's kind of funny to me. But if it's melancholy, then no. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's find out. what. what let's hear the tale of Mrs. Rigby and, and her whistling situation. Okay. I love how this, this starts. No introduction. Literally just, have I got a story for you. Love it. Boom. Right into it. I was telling the story on a TikTok live and sharing my love for all things spoopy when one of our followers said I had to listen to your podcast. Well, now I'm hooked and I'm a total creeper. And I even got my husband, who's a 6'4 army vet and total peeper, in on it as well. And since banter is our love language, too. Ah, nice. Now on to the story. My parents were high school sweethearts that got married right out of school and quickly had me right after. 
They were so excited to buy a house so young, a traditional 1950s with a big backyard. They got it for a steal. I was one month old when we had our first encounter. My parents had put me down to sleep for the night, and my mom headed off to bed while my dad stayed up watching TV. It was about midnight when he started hearing whistling in the house. It being the 80s, he had to get up and turn turn off the dial on the TV to turn the volume down. And what he heard continued. The loudest, most beautiful lullaby being whistled throughout the house. That was until he remembered my mom could not whistle. (laughs) At all. He tried to teach her once, and she just ended up spitting everywhere. (laughs) He took off, running to their room, where he found my mom sound asleep. He shook her awake while asking if she had just been whistling to me. After saying no, they both took off to my room, where it was ice cold, and I was drenched in sweat. Lethargic and not waking up with a 104-degree temperature. They rushed me to the emergency room, where a nurse Mm. took one look at me, grabbed me, and screamed, ice bath! while running down the hall. After several tests, scans, a spinal tap, and a rather rough encounter with ice, they found my lungs filled with pneumonia. The Mm. doctor told them how lucky they were, because if they hadn't checked on me, I would have absolutely died in my sleep. The entire night freaked out my very skeptical dad, and six months later, at a neighborhood pool party, he got up the courage to ask our neighbor about the previous tenants. Her eyes lit up as she talked about Mrs. Rigby, the old lady who died in our house before we moved in. She told him, oh, back in the day, we didn't have air conditioning, so we would leave the windows open to get a nice breeze. Every night, you could hear her whistling the most beautiful lullabies to her children at bedtime. But she stopped after her daughter passed away from pneumonia. My dad looked like she was about, like he was about to throw up or pass out. The neighbor giggled. She's still there, isn't she? Wow. That, was our la- <laughs> that wasn't our last encounter with Mrs. Rigby either. The first few years of my life, I would often tell my parents about my old lady friend who would take care of me. She was always so nice until one day, one of my uncles came to town. As at this time, Mm. my dad and I, I'm sorry, at this time, my dad had just finished the police academy. He's now the chief of police 30 years later. Wow. And he wanted to show his brother all his cool takedowns he had learned. (laughs) This, of course, turned into two (sighs) brothers fighting in the front yard, which freaked me out because I was three. I started crying and yelling at my uncle to stop hurting my dad. (laughs) That night, we woke up to my uncle screaming at the top of his lungs from my playroom where he and my aunt were sleeping on the pullout couch. He claimed that something had neatly folded the sheet onto my aunt, grabbed his ankles, and yanked him to the end of the bed. Oh, my God. I was in the doorway giggling. He and my aunt left immediately, and he never stayed past dark again. Mrs. Rigby did have a funny sense of humor and messed with my dad a few times, like the time she made the phone ring when he pointed at it after mocking her. But it was always understood that Mrs. Rigby would protect me at all costs. I hope you found this story interesting. Hearing all the different accounts from various family members just solidifies its authenticity to me. I now have two little creepers of my own. My five-year-old would tell me about seeing her uncle in the doorway at the hospital during her third open-heart surgery. He would tell her he would always keep her safe and and that she should hold on to the heart bear that he'd gotten her. The thing was, she was only six months old when my uncle died, and I never told her who that bear was from. Anyways, thanks for the spoops and scares, Laura. Thanks, Laura. That's like a guardian angel type ghost. All of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like the... Especially the first, like that first part of like literally saving your life. I know. And like, it's so specific that almost like a reenactment. I mean, not that the ghost could have given the baby pneumonia, mm-hmm. but so peculiar that 
her own daughter died of pneumonia, and then this baby had pneumonia. Right, right. Weird, yeah. huh? That would be very comforting. I've never really thought about that. Like, what if your introduction to a ghost was, yeah, like saving your life? And, th- and then, you know, you see like, like, I mean, then I would welcome seeing things around the house. I'm like, this person's But helping. then are you opening the doorway with good can come bad? I don't know. So to me, I would be like, okay, thanks, but also go away. No, I think I'd want them to stay if they help me. Ah, but what? But what if another evil spirit overtakes them? And because how many times have we talked about like at first it seemed good, at first it seemed okay, mm, and then it becomes something else. What if that evil spirit gave me some kind of powers? You're always working a deal over there, Cummins. Be <laughs> Yeah, you are not a minion. What's the minion <laughs> sound? You creep. Uh, Nipple pinching minion. I stole the minion sound. <laughs> beedle, beedle. Um, okay, I gotta change my sound. <laughs> That's that could be my sound. <laughs> I, th- I thought it would be more like a honk. Ooh, but just one because you, you're doing one pinch. Honk, honk. Nope, one. Okay, <laughs> I mean, unless you're going for the double pinch, maybe I get to have to do a whistle. Maybe you go boop, boop, left, right, so you can have two honks. Oh, uh, do the left one. I do like left and the right. I uh, do a little little whistle. Could be. Mm-hmm. Could be. Who knows? Okay. I like that story a lot, though. That was a. Uh, I know it's like very mm, sweet. Mm-hmm. I like that it was like intense activity, but not bad. Uh, other than the uncle's experience, bad for him. I know, but get, still funny. Pulled, but still funny. But probably not funny for him. But funny for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Funny that the little girl, that like little baby Laura, stood in the doorway watching it happening, happening, thinking it was funny. <laughs> true. I was like, true. she was real pals with Mrs. Rigby. Mm-hmm. I keep thinking I can't get the melody, but there's a Beatles song. Eleanor Rigby? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I can't ah, get the... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, are you ready for a more traditional? Yeah, this is the, arche- uh, the archaeological site, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I feel like on, you know, my side of the show, not not as much yours, but I feel like the fan stories are a little bit more specific in that, like, we generally are like, okay, it was this. I, I saw yellow eyes. I mm. saw a ghost. I feel like the fan stories are more often than not, not left open for interpretation. Oh, they yeah. feel more mm-hmm. definitive in a lot yeah. of ways, right? Yeah. So in this story, I find it, I, I loved this story and it became one of my new favorites because there is no specific answer. Okay. And I really enjoyed the the whole setup and where they are, this archaeological dig yeah. and what an interesting, interesting place. And and it's logical. Like yeah. you are literally digging up history. You know, my sister Donna used to want to be an archaeologist. Oh, I could see that. Mm-hmm. That's what she wanted to do. Why didn't she? She uh, loves history. Because uh, she met uh, my brother-in-law Jared, and he ruined her life God, damn by, it. by being such a good guy. He, she wanted to stay and marry him. Uh, and he's been great ever since. So he just continued to ruin that dream. Mm-hmm. He's just been, hmm. you know, uh, his his love and loyalty and affection has just destroyed her. Why couldn't he be loyal and love her while she was an archaeologist? <laughs> uh, he probably he, he would have. I bet he would have followed her. Yeah. Who knows? I, she just got. She just got. You know, as life. You know, you settle into something else. And but uh, but she thought about that for a while. Mm-hmm. Well, she, she does wanted, love history. She wanted to do like the Peace Corps. Or then I, I was. Think, yeah. My mom wouldn't let me join the Peace Corps. Oh boy, it's like a whole thing. I'm gonna do that after our kids are gone and go do like crazy humanitarian aid things. Are you? I always want to. All right. You know, bleeding heart and all. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see. What, we'll see what happens. All right. Well, anyways. See if I allow it. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> That's it? not the right sound. <laughs> You're not a nipple pinching minion. Okay, oh, that was wild. Oh, so cool. 
Mm, interesting. Definitely. Uh, okay. Well, let's let's get into our story over here. All right. Hey, Dan and Lindsay. My wife is a frequent listener of your show. She loves Time Suck and Dan's stand-up, but I would consider myself more of a second-hand listener. She often plays an episode while we're cooking or cleaning the kitchen, and I'll catch pieces and parts of the stories. As we were listening through an episode about the very bizarre unsolved case of the Hinterkaifeck farm murders, mm, yeah. my wife remembered a story I had once told her about a creepy occurrence I had while documenting an old farmhouse in the Texas panhandle. There are no mass murders involved in this story, at least not to my knowledge, but what occurred that day still unsettles me. I work as an archaeologist, and cool. while I know such a cool job. It is a cool job. It's a very cool job. And while it's fun to consider the possible existence of ghosts, demons, and big hairy Sasquatches, my analytical brain is resistant. That being said, back in 2011, I worked on a large-scale archaeological survey around the beautiful Palo Duro Canyon near Amarillo, Texas. Hmm. Cue your favorite George Strait song. Amarillo by morning. Uh, shit, something in San Antonio. I just knew Everything that... Everything that I got is just what I got on. I knew that you were going to need to let it out. So do okay. you feel better now? I feel better. Okay, good. We, we surveyed over 30,000 acres for a massive wind farm operation and recorded everything from 8,000-year-old prehistoric campsites to farmhouses abandoned during the Dust Bowl of the 1930s. One of the last farmhouses we came to during our project was this peeled white monstrosity sitting in the middle of a very desolate square mile of land. It was late in the day, and we were tired of walking endlessly under the sun with our heads hung down. Thankfully, it was springtime, so we weren't baking out there in 100-plus degree weather, but still, we were ready to go back home to the Holiday Inn, shower, and drink beers in the parking lot, because what else do you do in the middle of nowhere? When I first saw this big creepy farmhouse and its half-collapsed barn surrounded by nothing, my head immediately went to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> yeah. I thought, well, we're about to walk right into a future inspired by a true story horror movie. There were four of us, so you know, safety in numbers. But as archaeologists, we are very curious creatures and we were excited to explore the property. The house was creepier on the outside than it was on the inside. It was more dangerous than anything else, as most of the floorboards had fallen in, and if you sneezed wrong, the whole house could come down. Some of the furniture was still there, but caked with dust and sprinkled with dead flies and <laughs> mud daubers. I uh, oh, yeah, funny. I didn't feel anything as we made our way through the house, but as we approached the staircase leading to the second floor, one of the crew had to step outside because they weren't feeling great. I assumed dehydration. But when I later asked her about it, she said her stomach was so tightly knotted in there that she felt like she was going to vomit. There was nothing of note on the second floor other than, at some point, a stray cat died up there and had become mummified by the dry Texas heat. While we were up there, however, we heard a crew member outside shout, Hey, you guys, come check this out! And guess what? We did. Back behind the house, about 50 yards, was a concrete storm cellar sticking up out of the ground. Storm cellars are common in the panhandle, but this wasn't some hole dug in the ground with a corrugated tin door. This looked as if it had been built after the house had already been abandoned. It had a heavy red steel door that could only be bolted shut from the inside and a stairwell that led down to what looked like a square tunnel. But it was dark. Of course it was dark. Nobody volunteered to go down, and I don't blame them. Rattlesnakes are reason enough to stay out of storm cellars, but part of me was fascinated by it as it seemed so out of place. 
Typically, we don't need flashlights for our job, but one of our crew was ex-army and always carried a flashlight with him everywhere. Lucky me. I descended down the stairs and expected to see a short walkway into the actual shelter, but it was, in fact, a tunnel that Mm. went further than the light could reach. Odd, I thought, but not out of the question. I said, okay, guys, if I'm not back in 10 minutes, someone call the president. (laughs) Nobody laughed. Like I said, we were all really tired. So I pressed on into this square-shaped tunnel with a flimsy pocket torch guiding me. I looked back, and the light from the open stairwell was getting smaller and smaller until the tunnel bent to the right and I lost sight of the entrance altogether. I started talking to myself at this point to calm my nerves because, you know, rattlesnakes, maybe coyotes. Then I noticed something up ahead, something metallic sticking out of the tunnel wall. It was a round shower head about the size of a salad plate. There was something gross and dark oozing from one of the holes, splashing into a drain on the tunnel floor. The floor around the drain was, was stained from years of use. A shower head, I thought to myself. Okay, yeah, sure, I can buy it. You're stuck down here for hours, and sometimes you just need to freshen up. But as I kept walking, more shower heads. One on other one on either side of the tunnel every five yards or so. Six shower heads total. What? And then I thought to myself, okay, maybe they had a big family. Or maybe this was a slaughterhouse for animals? But why slaughter animals in a storm cellar? At this point, something feels off. The air is thick, heavy, almost as if I could reach out and push it away with my hands. And it smells damp, like an old latrine. The darkness beyond the flashlight somehow seems darker than it should be. The beam of the flashlight starts to flicker, but I give it a good thump and it steadies again. Seriously, how long does this tunnel stretch? I looked down at my watch. It only had been five minutes. I holler back at the crew, and my voice echoes away in both directions. It seemed like a long time before I heard them call back to me. But once the silence was restored, I could hear a strange sound from deeper in the tunnel. It was subtle, kind of like the sound of a needle tracking dead wax on a vinyl record. Only it was human-like, if that makes any sense. Like something living was making that noise. But it wasn't a rattlesnake or a coyote. I could check those off the list. My curiosity still outweighed my fear, and now I wanted to find the source of the strange noise. So I kept walking, maybe another 20, 30 yards, until the tunnel finally opened into a round room. It was very odd, probably 50 feet in diameter with floors that sloped down to a large circular grate in the middle of the floor and a walkway that formed the perimeter. At the opposite end of the room, there was a door. As far as I could tell, it didn't have a handle or a knob, so it likely opened from the other side. But it was painted red, which I found strange because why would you paint a door in your storm cellar red? But that's assuming this was a storm cellar at all, and the more I considered it, the less I thought it was an actual storm cellar. I could hear the scratching sound, but I couldn't tell if it was coming from inside the room or behind the door. The flashlight sputters again, and me thumping it isn't helping, so I click it off, and on again. The beam is fading to a dull yellow, and as I swept it along the back wall, I saw something crouched down in what looked like a cubbyhole. I could make out the back of the shoulders, the ridge of a very prominent spine. It was pale, hairless, and for a split second, I thought it looked like the emaciated body of a naked old man before the flashlight completely died. The moment it went pitch black, something rushed past me in that tunnel like a gust of wind that was so cold but also warm at the same time. It gave my goosebumps goosebumps. Time to get the fuck out. 
I hit the flashlight as hard as I could and whatever juice was left in the batteries gave me enough light to see that the cubby hole was now empty. I turned back to the tunnel and there was nothing as far as the light would shine. I didn't want to turn back to that room, so I took off down the hot tunnel and ran until I could see the light of the stairwell and the legs of one of my crew members seated near the top. Hey! I shouted, but that's all I could manage to stop. That's all I could manage to shout as I stopped to catch my breath. When I got back to the stairs, I asked them what had run out of that tunnel. What do you mean? They asked. Something ran past me. I said, maybe an animal? I don't know, something. I got startled. Uh, nope, just you, running like you saw a ghost. On the walk back to the trucks, I told them what I had seen down there, about the shower heads, the scratching sound, the weird room with the red door, and whatever it was I saw crouched in that cubby hole. Maybe it was nothing. Maybe it was a big coyote with a bad case of mange. Maybe I freaked myself out to the point of imagining most of it. But I can say without hesitation that it was absolutely the creepiest place I've ever been. I've never felt such an unnervingly dense energy before or after. And even though I nearly scared myself to death, I was determined to go back one day with friends to try and figure out what the hell that place was for. Spoiler alert, I didn't make it back there before they built the wind farm, so who the fuck knows? Keep on creeping and peeping, creeps and peepers. Sincerely, you're now full-time listener, Brennan. Brennan. Now, what the fuck was that place? I don't know. So many unanswered. A tunnel full of shower heads every five yards that goes to a big round room all underground with a red door that kind of like goes to a grate in the floor. I mean, it feels like it's slaughterhouse something, but I don't know shit about slaughterhouses. It doesn't make sense. Why? It doesn't make any. Yeah. What is that? Well, to me, it feels culty. Like a cult, like the occult, like let's all, we're going to like march people down here for Uh, some sort of- uh, Some ritual or something. Ritual. And in order to perform the ritual, you must first cleanse yourself. So shower heads, you know, it's like Mm. how deep is your commitment to this? Yeah, maybe a cult. Mm -hmm. So then you're like marching along, right? I'm thinking like hooded, like one hooded figure, five or six people in the middle, another hooded figure marching along. You're like, okay, yeah, this is cool. We're going to do some occult shit. And then you get to those shower heads and you're like, the fuck have I gotten myself into? They strip all the two hooded figures, stay hooded. Everybody else stripped down, showered, marched into the rotund room. <laughs> Man, you, you get, oh, you, I went deep. <laughs> yeah, you got quite the picture. Of the- but then all these people are now, now the hooded figures are walking around the perimeter and these other showered, clean sacrifices are now standing over this grate, all slaughtered. Aye, aye, aye. That's why there's a drain in the floor. And the little thing that he saw, whatever it was, is somehow somebody sometime, I don't know, killed the hooded figures, got away, couldn't get out. Their spirit is trapped. I don't fucking know. Because what's that other door? I don't know. Is like, is this great with this perimeter? Like, if you can survive the torture, then you get to go through the next door. What's through that door? What's beyond it? <laughs> I, I wrote a whole movie in yeah, my head. Yeah, you got it. That's, 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 that's good. That's a good- yeah, that's a great scene. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, well, because what else can it be? You're not marching animals down there. That makes zero sense. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And like a, like we've, we've seen, oh, what do they call it? Like a, not a slaughter room, but like we have seen that come up here before where it's like, um, not a shower, but a, a oh water source. Go ahead. Do you remember a long time ago when we just started Scared to Death? Talk about the round room. Uh-huh. Uh, when the comic uh, Joe Coy did his oh, podcast and he boy. told that story about the, when him took a bunch of family to Hawaii for vacation and the weird a- Airbnb house I forgot about this. had like a weird little door that you opened up and, and it opened into a round room with a bunch of chairs on the perimeter all facing the center. Uh-huh. And it was just like a, a weird, creepy room that he like hated the energy from it. Oh man, that maybe, that maybe that was a cult too. 
That was so many years ago that you did that sh- that his podcast, but that yeah, was two or three years ago. He yeah. talked about it, so if you guys can go find that old Joy- Joe Koi episode on the Koi Pond, yeah, um, it was such a fascinating story. Mm-hmm. But, but, but yeah, but but, but like it I, just, th- I think you're right. I think it's a cult. I think it's cult something. Right, because like we have been in haunted houses before, where they're like a haunted farmhouse or, um, excuse me, mm-hmm. um, where there's like a. Um, a drain in the floor and some sort of water source. And it made sense. It was like, okay, it was not below ground. It yeah. was just like, okay, well, you have to clean the meat before you eat it. But, you know, it wasn't a shower head, five or six of them lying, like right. staggered. Like, that doesn't make sense. That sounds like very, like, prison-esque. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just, it does uh. not, it made me so uncomfortable. And I, I cannot get this story out of my head. Ijuawa. <laughs> you know what it is. What's wild, cool, and interesting? Wild, cool, and interesting. Mm-hmm. I think we need a T-shirt. Wild, <laughs> period. Cool, period. Interesting, period. Mm-hmm. A, good story. It's so yeah, really good. So good because mm-hmm. it's just no explanation. It's gonna linger, right? And now there's that wind farm on top of it, so there is no going back to try and figure this out. Hmm. I wonder if like did the wind did they like? Why couldn't you go back as the wind farm? Uh, did they destroy it? Or just just owned by somebody private or something. That's my guess. Mm, yeah. 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 And I don't really know, like, when you build a wind farm, I don't know what maybe. kind of engineering you need underneath it. So maybe they did destroy what was down there. Or maybe the wind farm people are part of some cult. And oh, my God. And it's a and, wind cult. And they're, and they're using the power from the wind farm to to generate enough electricity to- To power the to showers. To power some crazy shit underground. They're powering the showers. And then that's, you know, the beginning of your march to death. Mm, some kind of stranger things. Oh, man. You got some ex- government experimental facility down there. Oh, Stranger Things is back. Are we going to finish it? It is? Uh-huh. There's a new episode? A new That's, season? I swear to God, I just read that. Oh, well, I don't know. We got we to finish Ozark, too. We get, there's, there's some stuff so we got to watch. So many things. Mm-hmm. I know. We're still not done with Glow. Did anybody else watch Glow? I feel like we only need to watch one season. Yeah, I like it, but I'm not like, I don't crave it when I'm not watching it. Correct. Yeah. But I'm like that with most comedies, which is I know, weird for someone who is a comic. Well, but, you're but, not that funny. Totally. That's exactly what it at, is. At home, at home. I forgot to add that in there. Not, people ask me all the time, like, is he funny at home? I'm like, no, he's quiet at home. Yeah. Uh, they, they, just don't, they just don't grip me the same way. No, I, I do either. like dramas, sci-fis. They, they pull me in. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, it's like they, here's my problem with comedies, just yeah. real quick. They don't turn my brain off. It does, mm. it, my brain will still keep thinking about like, oh, this grocery list. Oh, I got to take care of this for the kids. So mm-hmm. when you're saying like it doesn't grip your brain, it doesn't keep my brain active enough to keep yeah. me from kind of venturing off into other things. But uh, a mystery, a drama, I'm so engrossed and so invested yeah. in it that I'm not thinking about other things. So it's an actual break from all the yeah. things that I normally think about. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I did watch uh, a new horror movie on my kind of spread it over a few little flights. A lot of times like, I'll watch it like when I come back from my own comedy shows. Mm-hmm. I'll watch something for half an hour, 45 minutes before I fall asleep. Yeah. And uh, Dahlia, one of our friends, oh, yeah. uh, she recommended Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh yeah, you told me that. I'm not a big, out of the horror subgenres, mm-hmm. slasher movies are my least favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the ones that got me into horror mm-hmm. as a kid, but like the Jason, the Friday the 13th, all that stuff. But anyway, there's a Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. I think it was like 2019 or 20 on Netflix. Pretty good. I think I saw it. I don't know why it feels familiar to me. But uh, I don't know that you did. I think it's been remade a few times. Yeah, there's been various remakes. I don't think you saw this one. Okay. okay. Uh, but but it was good. It was, it was the newest one. I mean, for for that kind of movie, I was like, all right, all right. It's very, uh, I don't know. It did its job. When uh, I, well, you were away 
and I was watching TV to wind down at night, I just like popped up Netflix and it looks like there's a lot of new, maybe not horror, but like thriller, mystery mm. kind of thing. I'm like, oh, there's a lot of stuff on Netflix I think I want to watch Man, right now. So much stuff. So much content. Thanks, thanks for listening to this or watching this content out of the sea of choices you I have. know. You guys are the best. Uh, do you want to do some shout outs? Oh my God, I was done. I was out of here. You were you were ready to go. I'm sorry, I was just, I was so in the movie that I wrote in my head. <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was good. It was good. I'll start. I'll start. Okay, I'll do yeah, my Annabelle's do. first. Thank you, Dan. Um, I would like to thank the following Annabelle's for supporting us on Patreon. Uh, and again, truly thank you. I mean, yeah, you do have so many things you could support. We appreciate you supporting this. Uh, first, Angie Vaderver. Yes, Angie Vaderver, uh, Stephen Morrison, Zeno, the Zeddingtons. Cynthia Richards, James Slimmer, Yasmine Lightheart, Maria Edwards, Stephanie Shandy, uh, Johanna or Johanna, Johanna, Johanna Noakes, Johanna Noakes, Jacob Haynes, Mikey and B. Rowley, Trisha Stone, <laughs> Dragon Hunter Sexy Lady Triple X. Hell yeah. Nice. Uh, hey, Lucifina. That's a little. Uh, mm -hmm. Heather Matthews. Caroline Smith, Angelica Coronado, Brittany, Alexandra Blue, Nathalia Campo, Joe Reinhardt, uh, Cindy Gay, Barbie Harden, Rob Wallace, and Lizzie Mason. Awesome. I would also like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting us and helping us to donate to awesome charities every month. Amy Nazat, Angela Soto, Stephanie Keynes, Alex Hernandez, Shai Lambert, Teresa Wade, Jaden Bloomstedt, Casey Matthews, Storm Large, Nina Sobiek, Kennedy Parker, Cody Collins, Zach, Gertie Medina, Raymond Alcarez, Amber Steele, Alyssa Frazier, Corey Mason, Justin and Lori Davidson, Sean Lloyd, Co uh, I want to say Chloe, but it's spelled K-O-H-L-I-E, and that is correct. So Coley Marie, mm. Lauren Mank, Magner and Neil McEckern, Heidi Horrible, Brandon Hum, Francisca Piper, John Tom and John Thompson. Nice. And then I have a few spoopy shout outs. Yeah. To Summer from your mom and Josh, happy 13th birthday. Aww. That is our own Sarah Finch's daughter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to Jax from Momver, love you, kiddo. To Danny from Jade, happy birthday from your love, Fern. And to Jonathan from Beth, happy birthday. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that, that's awesome that Sarah um, wrote you about that. Because mm -hmm. Sarah was talking to me about like, hey, I'll be, it was like, uh, I'll get you these next um, story possibilities in a few days. You know, we got our daughter's birthday. 13. 13, that's a big one. Yep. Aw. Uh, that is our show. Thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else, info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith, Liz Hernandez for the work on social media, and to Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com. Thanks to Joe Paisley for producing and directing, Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation, Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails, and to book editor Drew Atana for polishing and preparing the listener stories for book number three. Thanks to producer Olivia Lee for finding my first story today and Sophie Evans for finding the second. Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you want to watch this show in addition to listening. Thanks to everyone who has done that. We just passed 100,000 uh, YouTube subscribers. Yay! Fun, fun, fun. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want more content. At Scared of Death Podcast, we have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, full of horror lovers, about 20,000 members in there now. 
Thanks to Liz Hernandez for moderating. And if you don't want to hear any ads, if you want monthly bonus episodes, check out our Patreon and get the entire catalog ad-free and so much more. And you can go to Reddit now and there's a Bad Magic Production subreddit that somebody is running. Awesome. Uh, that has this Thank show. You. Yeah, time sucking is we done. Uh, enjoy your nightmares, creeps, and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but have no home here within scared to death. Bad Magic Productions. 